wow, this is great. Huh? God's good. I, I love the video testimonies, right? God's, God's good. He's my friend. I'm getting baptized. That's it. That's how it works. I want to be close to Jesus. He told me to be baptized. That's the deal, you know? I mean, he's in charge. He's the king. Wow. <laughs> There's a hunger that I'm hearing and seeing. A hunger for God. A hunger for Christ. And, um, and let's talk about that. Let's talk about hunger. Um, I want to uh, I'll talk about hunger by first telling you about about those silly New Yorkers. In New York City, there's 8 million cats and 11 million dogs. Dogs. And New York City is basically concrete and steel. So when you have a pet in New York City and it dies, you can't just go into the backyard and bury it. So the city authorities have decided uh, that for $50, they will dispose of your deceased pet. And, And one lady thought of something. She has a little entrepreneurial spirit in her. And so she thought, well, I can render a service to the people in the city and I can save them money. I can do this cheaper than the government. So she placed an ad in the newspaper which said, when your pet dies, I will come and take care of the carcass for you for $25. All right? And so she would then go to the local Salvation Army, buy an old suitcase for $2. And then when someone would call about his or her pet, she would go to the home and then she would put the deceased pet in the suitcase. And then she would take a ride on the subway where there are thieves. the suitcase down, act like she wasn't watching, and then the thief would come, steal the suitcase, she'd look up and say, wait, stop, thief. (laughs) Those silly New Yorkers and those, those silly New York thieves, right? They get home, they take the suitcase that they stole, they got a real surprise when they opened that baby up, huh? And we're just like them. We're, we're, Midwesterners are just like them. We are. We're just like those New York thieves. Because we hunger and crave for happiness. And we go after what we think will make us happy. And we're not. Are we? And Jesus talks about this. And we've been having a conversation about this here 
for the past few weeks. We've been in a series through the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus talks about happiness and blessedness. He says, blessed are those, or fortunate are those, or happy are those. And he describes, he describes the lives of those who belong in his kingdom. And he says, happiness is... He says, this is what will make you happy. This is what will make you blessed. That's pretty bold, isn't it? Isn't it? That's just, that's pretty bold. Someone telling us what they think will make us happy. We're not used to that. We're not. We're used to being, we're used to the idea that happiness is whatever we think will make us happy. We're used to the idea of us being our own happiness experts. We're, we're our own personal authorities on the subject of happiness. And we think we know better than anybody else what makes us happy. And Jesus says, not really. But I do. And so he says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And today, we're going to hear him say, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied will you say that with me one two three blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied again blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied what are you hungry for today What are you thirsty for today? Jesus Jesus talks about the the satisfaction that comes from hunger. That's interesting, isn't it? Being satisfied with hunger. Especially when you think about the different kinds of hunger that exist, you know. Uh, The most obvious being physical hunger right? Your taste buds have had a good night's sleep and that, and that first sip of coffee in the morning. I mean good coffee now. Kenyan double A, Costa Rican, Jamaica Blue Mountain, that's the good stuff. Huh? The aroma, the, the taste, that very first sip. And then, and then if you want to, you, you put some sugar and some half and half and it goes down. It's so smooth, so buttery, so satisfying, that the first taste in the morning. And then, and, then, and then at lunch, you go to your favorite Mexican restaurant and what's the first thing your server puts right on your table? Those tasty, fresh, deep-fried corn chips and that succulent bowl of tangy salsa. There's enough salt in there to keep those corn chips coming and you can make a meal out of that. You do make a meal out of that. Before, you, before your enchilada comes, you've downed two baskets of those babies. I mean, and then, and then that night, 
That night, because you've saved your calories all day, you, you go to your favorite dinner place, and tonight it's going to be steak because you got a raise. You're not getting sirloin tonight. You're getting marbled ribeye, and, and your teeth sink into that, that, that medium piece of Angus flesh, and you just think, Jesus has come. It's so incredible. It's, it's, and, and, and then... And then and then after that feast, you go to the movies, and there's a reason why. The smell of popcorn hits you in the face as you enter the lobby. And, and for the price of the movie ticket, you purchase a bag of popcorn. And that popcorn has been baptized in butter. You've seen the testimony there on the video screen. And, and, it's, and, then, and then you complement it with your favorite soft drink. And so there's that... There's that that mixture, that delicious mixture of sweet and salt. And, and, and then two hours later, when the credits roll, leaving you with the conclusion that the popcorn was, in fact, better than the movie. Before you go home, you've got to stop by the custard cup. You've got to, because you've got to have, you gotta have that, that turtle sundae. You've got to have two dips of vanilla or cold fudge. Oh, my goodness. And you lie in bed. That night, and you think to yourself, what an incredible day. And, and, you, and you close your eyes, and just prior to experiencing cardiac arrest, you, <laughs> you realize, you realize, you realize that there's a world of difference between the first bite and the last bite. And the first taste and the last taste, and the first sip and the last sip, you realize that, that when it comes to physical hunger, satisfaction really means you're groggy, sleepy, with a sluggish sense of taste. And you walk away wondering if you really are satisfied. Well, that's just physical hunger. I mean, what about visual hunger? You see something in the catalog, piece of clothing, some sports gear. Got to have that new electronic gadget and a car, a boat, a home. You see it, you like the color, the style, the, the look, and, you, and there's this craving that occurs. And, and, and you think, I've got to have that. And you begin to daydream about it and fantasize wearing it or driving it or living in it. And, and, and why do you have that craving? You have that craving because there are professionals who make a living creating that kind of artificial hunger. And on top of that, there are other professionals who make a living satisfying that kind of artificial hunger. They call them a maitre d' or a concierge. All, and all they need to satisfy your craving is your credit card. That's all they need. Just one swipe. And what about vocational hunger? Our staff had some retreat time uh, this uh, past week, and uh, we were able to kind of get away from uh, the office and spend some time on this theme, and it was very appropriate for us. The theme was this. It was about the question, what is, what's, it's about what God's work has been doing to the work of God in us. What God's work has been doing to the work of God in us. And our speaker was someone uh, who had started at the bottom of his organization of uh, 4,000 people and uh, worked his way up to the number two position and 
a little over a decade later, came to the realization that at the top of the ladder, he no longer had the desire to be on the ladder. And therefore left a very good job in an economy like this. I wonder if anybody here is experiencing that. I wonder if anybody here is struggling with that kind of hunger, that kind of satisfaction, that kind of lack of satisfaction that you get to the top of the ladder and you realize, I'm on the wrong ladder. And now what? Oh, we could talk about relational hunger. There's that hunger, the hunger to be in a relationship with someone, the hunger that says, if I could just be married or if I could just be married to this other person... I know they happen to be married, but I mean, if I could just date this person, or then I would be satisfied. Then I would. And and I know how that movie ends, and it's not good. And then there's aesthetic hunger, you know, to have a certain look, a certain body, a certain physique. And, and I'm all for a strenuous workout. I mean, don't get me wrong. But I'm talking about the kind of hunger that drives an already attractive 23-year-old actress to have 10 plastic surgery procedures done in one day and say, I'm not addicted to plastic surgery. Okay, honey. Well, how many would you have if you were? I, I mean, to hear this Soul, this lost soul, this hungry soul, say, I'm in a different industry and I have to do things that are going to make me happy at the end of the day. And my question to that scenario and all the others that I've mentioned is simply this. Are you really happy? Are you? Are you? Uh, Dwayne Thomas was once a star running back for the Dallas Cowboys um, back when they truly were America's team. And this is what he said. He, he said this because reporters were talking about the Super Bowl, and they, they, they said that the Super Bowl was, was called the ultimate game. And this is what he said. he said. He said, if the Super Bowl is called the ultimate game, why do they play it again next year? And, and even, the, even the existential atheist, uh, Jean-Paul Sartre, had to admit that there comes a time When someone asks, he says, there comes a time when someone asks, even of Shakespeare, even of Beethoven, is that all there is? And and at the end of the day, you come to the realization at the core of who you are, your heart, your very soul hungers for that which coffee and popcorn and tenure and a Super Bowl ring and a corner office and six-pack abs can never ultimately satisfy. And the tragedy is that after stuffing ourselves with every one of these things, we still starve. And... (laughs) And what's even more tragic is that some of these things we've stuffed ourselves, we, have, we become addicted to. We become addicted to. And, and, and that's why Proverbs gives us this image of the banquet in the grave. We first consume these things to exercise control, but in the end, they consume and they control us. 
What are we to do with these desires? What do they mean? And I've, I turn once again to uh, a literary mentor of mine, C.S. Lewis, who talked about desire in his book, Mere Christianity. He says, he says, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for these desires exist. Uh, therefore, a baby feels hunger. Well, there must be such thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there must be such thing as water. Humans feel sexual desire. Well, there is such thing as sex. And then he says this. He says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And that is exactly what Jesus is saying to us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, when he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Jesus Christ insists that the most satisfying thing in all of life is the hunger for God. Happiness, says Jesus, is being hungry for God. Now that is an amazing statement for us to hear. And here's why. See, many of us think that happiness has absolutely nothing to do with being hungry and everything to do with being full. But Jesus says here that to be hungry for righteousness means we don't have any. But that's not what we expect to hear from Jesus. That's not what we expect to hear in a, in a church, right? We expect Jesus to say, blessed are the righteous. But that's not what he says, right? We'd rather talk about what we already have, not what we're hungry for. And Jesus promises, Jesus promises that if you think that you have mastered this beatitude, then that probably means you're self-righteous. So when it comes to coming to God, it's better to come to God empty than full. Okay? Don't bring your resume to God. Well, just bring your name. If you have a resume, just put your name on it and stop right there when it comes to God. That will, that will do. And by empty, I mean this. Not God, I want a better life, better job, better house, better spouse. It's this, it's this. God, I need you like I need air, like I need food, like I need water. And if I don't have this, I'm going to die. If I don't have you, my soul's going to die. I'm talking about the kind of hunger that the psalmist speaks of in Psalm chapter 63. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary. I've beheld your power and glory because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. That's the kind of hunger that Jesus is talking about. And did you know that in his generous mercy, God often causes hunger to teach us to hunger for him? That's what, that's what God's people learned in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. God humbled you 
causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna which neither you nor your for, for your fathers had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And now you know that's what Jesus was quoting when he was tempted by Satan. So you see, hunger's not bad. It's not. Hunger is what drives us. Hunger is our friend. Hunger is our teacher. Is anybody here hungry? Are you hungry? Are you hungry for God? Because if you're not hungry for God, then you're going to have absolutely no interest in what he has to say. You're not. And some of you are here because you are very hungry. You are starving for God. And, and, and it hurts. And your heart hurts. And this is good. See, this is good. And others of you are here, and you're not hungry for God at all. You're here because you've cut a deal. I don't know what I can say. I don't know what will help. I, I honestly don't. If, if you're not hungry for God, I mean, well, no wonder you don't have any interest. You see, you see, when our hunger is held hostage or when our appetites have been spoiled by insurgent delicacies, then we're never going to taste God. So, so I, I guess my question is this. Um, are, are you tired of consuming that which leaves you starving? Are you? Are you tired of being consumed by your diet? Because the day you, the day you tire of that, I've got good news. And the good news is that Jesus offers a better entree. And the entree, the feast, the banquet, is righteousness. It's righteousness. And you say, well, what do you mean by righteousness? Well, here's what I don't mean. Let's, let, let's get this now. Let's not miss this. Here's what I don't mean. I, I'm not, well, Jesus tells us what he doesn't mean. It's, it's, it, if you just flipped over in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, Jesus says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. So you see, righteousness is not a public display of religious-looking deeds to project a religious-looking image. <laughs> it's not a display of religion for the sake of attention. Righteousness does not have anything to do with Matthew 6.1. It has everything to do with Matthew 6.33 when Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. His kingdom and his righteousness. They're one and the same. They're one and the same. His kingdom. He is a king. And we're the subjects. And so the deal in a kingdom is do what the king says. It's that simple. And so Jesus says that righteousness is a life that matches the will of God. Jesus says that righteousness is, God, I want my life to fit with your will. 
I want my life to be in sync with your will. So I take my little cable and I, on one side, I connect my iPod with my iTunes. And then the screen on my computer says, don't disconnect because they're syncing. We want them to be in sync. And when they're finally in sync, then it says, okay, now you can take the cables off. And Jesus says that the most sad, and, and, and that is righteousness, being in sync. And Christ says, look, the, the most satisfying thing in all of life is being in sync with the will of God. To hunger to be in sync with the will of God. To hunger for what God wants. The hunger to, the hunger to have God tell me what to do. There it is. The happiest, the happiest most satisfied people in the universe are those who hunger to have God tell them what to do. And some say, I would never want that. And my response is, you already do. You already do. Because I'll tell you, if you eat a stomach full of popcorn, that popcorn tells you what to do. And you, you drink a quart of Jack Daniels and that Jack Daniels tells you what to do. So the issue is not, the issue is not will someone tell me what to do. No, the, the issue is who. Who's going to tell me what to do? Who's going to be my master? And Jesus promises that he can do that better than anyone else, which was why an old preacher centuries ago said, my soul is restless until it finds rest in thee. There it is, church. The happiest, most satisfied people are those who hunger to have God tell them what to do. So, if you are really hungry for God and for his righteousness and to be in sync with his will, then, then here's, what, here's what this looks like on a personal, individual basis, all right? And I refer to what Jim Baker talks about, uh, excuse me, John Baker. <laughs> If you think it's so easy, you come up here and say it. (laughs) Brother Baker. (laughs) Says that this means to voluntarily submit to every change God wants to make in my life and humbly ask him to remove my character defects. I'll say that again. To voluntarily submit to every change God wants to make in my life and humbly ask him to remove my character defects, to to remove what is not in sync. You see, righteousness is not theoretical. It's very practical. It shows up in everyday life and it starts with what God wants in heaven and it's got boots on the ground. Then it, be, it, it becomes what he wants done on earth, starting with my life, starting with me. 
And so we pray, God, what is it about my life? We pray this dangerous prayer. God, what is it about my life that you want to change? What is it about my life that's not in sync with your will? God, which specific growth area would you like me, would you like to work on in my life? There it is. And so you, you don't just pray, God, I just want to be a better person. No, no, no. That's, that's, that in itself can be denial. We have to be specific. Specific. God, this is what I, I, I want you to work on. This is, what, this is what needs to be, here are the areas that need to be worked on. You pick. You know, my anger, my anxiety, my tendency to control people, my workaholism, my demanding nature, my high-maintenance tendencies, my lack of forgiveness, my tendency to store up grievances and then spew them like a volcano, my dishonesty. And I use the word my because I need to own it. And we go down that list and we say, God, which of these is damaging my life the most? And and then subject that to him. And and let's, let's start with one at a time, okay? Let's start with one at a time. So, so let's, let's go to our honesty inventory and let's have some, let's have some self-audit time. And let's say it's anger. Let's say you have an issue with anger. To take this before the Lord and just at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you, you fill out an anger diary and let's do some work on this. And you ask some questions like, when was I angry today? When was I angry today? And describe that scene. Write it down. Write it down. With whom was I angry? Write the person's name. What was my response? How did I respond? Why was I angry? Why was I angry? You know, when you think about what anger is, if, if, if that's the issue on the table that needs to be worked on, anger is often a secondary emotion It's often a secondary emotion. We feel something else before we feel anger. And what happens is that something else, that primary emotion, is often just way too much for us to be able to deal with, like hurt, like bitterness. And so we, you know, or or like a feeling let down or a feeling unappreciated. And so we... We have a hard time wanting to, wanting to deal with that because that leaves us out of control. But if I shoot over to anger, then I can take control. So why was I angry? And then the next question would be, what did I want to accomplish with my anger? And write it down. Write it down. Well, what strategy did I formulate to battle anger? What, what, what strategy did I formulate? You write that down. And the last one was, did I implement the plan? Did I actually do it? Huh? See? You say, well, this takes work. Yeah, it does. It takes work. It takes, it, it, it is, um, as we've conversed about in Celebrate Recovery, it is, about, it is about us doing what's possible and trusting God to do the impossible. And I want you to listen to what Neil Clark Warren said about just this writing down. Um, he, he wrote, when you find yourself keeping a diary, the expectation of recording an event will influence the event itself. So you simply cannot record your anger night after night without changing your way of behaving the next day. 
I, th- that is a wonderful piece of wisdom. Uh, that's why in Financial Peace University, we learn about writing down a budget. Because you simply cannot record your anger night after night without changing your way of behaving the next day. I wonder if that's why God wanted his kings in the Old Testament to handwrite a copy of the law. Because you can't record something night after night after night without changing your way of behaving the next day, you see. And then, and then we just focus on daily progress, you know. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. God satisfies a day at a time. His mercies are new every morning. God never gives us day old mercies. They're always new every morning. He satisfies daily so that we will hunger for him daily. And, and you know, you, this lifetime problem, we, we didn't get into it overnight, whatever that hurt or hang up or habit is. And, and, and so day by day, we're going to break it down and work on it a day at a time. And we get God's strength a day at a time. And we pray when we get up in the morning, Lord, just for this day, I want to be patient. Just for this day, I want to think pure thoughts. Just for this day, I don't want to lose my temper. Just for this day, I want to be positive instead of negative. Just for this day, I want to be sober. Just for this day. God, thank you for yesterday's victory. Today, I pray for strength for for this day's battle, you see. And that's what it looks like for the rest of our lives. And and, and that's, that's a very practical personal, individual way of being in sync with God's will and pursuing and hungering for righteousness. And there is a corporate righteousness that this congregation needs to seek. Oh, yes. Yes. As a spiritual community, we need to seek God's will. We need to be in sync with God's will and what God wants and And isn't that why nearly 40 of us were at Jesus' days yesterday at Restoration? Isn't that why we share our resources and distribute food at Salt and Light? Isn't that why we've got mission trips going on this summer? Because we want to be a community that seeks righteousness. and, And we want to be used by God as a church family to nourish others so that they will see who Christ is. We do that as a community. We do that individually. We do that in our family, in our marriage, and as a church family. And Christ promises the blessing and happiness on those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. He says they will be satisfied with what? With what? With righteousness. The Lord gives this famished person the desires of his heart. We want righteousness, we crave it, and then God satisfies. And the satisfaction means wanting more of it. And it's a delicious paradox. It really is. I love the Lord, the Lord satisfies me, but not like the satisfaction I get after a Thanksgiving meal. It's the kind of satisfaction that leaves me alert and wanting more and more. It's the kind of satisfaction that we read about in John chapter 2, Jesus miracle of transforming the water into wine. What did the master of the banquet say on tasting this delicious, delicious wine? He said, you've saved the best until now. And that's the way it is when Jesus serves. 
That's what happens when we hunger for Christ. Every next bite. Think about that. Think about that. That's supernatural. Every next bite, every next sip, every next drink, every next swallow leaves us both satisfied and wanting more. Unlike the coffee or the popcorn or the steak or the beauty or the stuff, when Jesus satisfies, every next bite is, you saved the best until now. Then we take another bite. No, you saved the best until now. How is that possible? It's possible because of the quality of God's table. The quality of his righteousness. His righteousness has no limit because he is without limit. And so to hunger for righteousness is nothing less than to hunger for Jesus himself. And to hunger for him, we see him, we see his tender love, we read about his tough love, and about his sacrificial love, about the love that led him to say in John 4, 34, my food is... My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And the completion of his work was at a Roman cross when he said finished and he died for our sins. Ah, ah, but you say the best until now because you see then comes the resurrection. Oh, and then comes, then comes the ascension. You've saved the best until now. Then comes Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit upon the church so that then through you, Jesus says, all nations will be blessed. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the world. And then we're just waiting, eager, expecting, anticipating his coming I'm telling you, each bite is a better, better taste because Jesus is the one who's serving. I want that food. (laughs) How do I get it? Well, Jesus tells us. Remember? Remember the parable of the lost sons in Luke 15? In that parable, we know more about the younger son who blew his father's inheritance in a faraway land, and then a famine came, and then he grew hungry, and he was so hungry. Now remember, this was a Jewish setting and a Jewish parable. This younger son was so hungry, he ate pig food. Now, he was hungry enough to eat pig food, but when he was starving, that's when he went home to his father. And if you want, if you want Jesus' food you've got to be able to walk out of the restaurant that you're in right now. You've got to be able to walk away from the table because Jesus will serve you. But he's only going to serve you at his restaurant, not yours. You've got to come to his table. Is it any wonder then that we have a tangible reminder of the feast that Christ offers a reminder to us of our hunger for him through the Lord's Supper, the bread and the cup, his body and his blood, his very life, his very sacrifice. Symbols that speak of how Jesus, who is our righteousness, 
How he and he only satisfies. He sustains us. Our hunger is satisfied in him. So bring your hunger to Jesus and let him fill you. He will fill you with himself. You get what I'm saying? Righteousness is first a gift before it becomes a practice. It's a gift and then it's a practice. So church, come to the table. Come to the table. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Amen.